not getting ahead of ourselves, not letting the cart get ahead of the horse. It's the idea of sitting at Jesus' feet and waiting and resting in Him and in Him alone. Secondly, those that wait on the Lord, what? Shall renew their strength. What promise to consider? That God says, they that wait will renew their strength. It doesn't say might renew their strength. Hopefully they'll regain strength. It says they will renew their strength. You will have renewed strength if you wait on the Lord. Who doesn't want renewed strength? We all want that. And God's Word tells us exactly how to get it. And thirdly, renewed strength, or with that renewed strength, we have the ability to move forward with energy to do what God wants us to do in and through us. Uh, this verse that I came across this week in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, it says this, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It says the Lord is good to those who wait on the Lord. To understand Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, we really need to look at the last five verses preceding that. So if you would, let's read verses 25 through 30 of Isaiah chapter 40. It says this, To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Now let's just stop right there for a moment. Isn't that almost just a rhetorical question? I mean, to whom will you liken me? Obviously there is no one like God. says, to whom shall I be equal? There is no one equal to God. Keep that in your mind. So he says, verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Think about that. He says he calls the host by name. He has created all things. And when you look around, and even Romans chapter 1 says, as you look around at the creation that God has given us, he says no one will be without excuse because it's just obvious that someone that has great might and power has built this place, has created this place. And then he goes on, verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I mean, when you think about who God is and the characteristics of who God is, there is none like him. There is no one as powerful as him. There is nobody that can do what God has done. And then he goes on, verse 29. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Stop right there for a moment. So, when we start thinking about, as we look at our main text in Isaiah 40, verse 31, you understand why he is able to do what he is able to do. He's the most powerful. Uh, verse 29, he gives power to the weak. Who is not weak at times? Who does not need strength at times, as we've been talking about? Who of us doesn't just feel exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically at times, and does not need the strength of God to be working in and through them? And he says, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even though you shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I came across this statement by one of my favorite preachers of yesteryear. I don't think they make a whole lot of people like this anymore, like 
Adrian Rogers, if you remember him on TV, Love Worth Finding. He's a great man. I had the opportunity to speak with him several times before he passed away. But Adrian Rogers said this about waiting. He said, you've got to learn to wait upon the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to tell you in a moment, but I'm going to tell you what it doesn't mean. First of all, it doesn't mean inactivity. Think about that. When we associate in our minds what we think of waiting, it usually conjures up the idea of just sitting around until something else happens. He said, I want you to know that waiting is not inactivity. He says, it does not mean sitting around saying, well, I'm waiting on God. If he wants to do something, he can. No, 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 he says. Listen to this. In the olden days, Adrian said, when a boy was courting a girl, do you know what the old timers would say? They'd say, that young man's waiting. That young man's waiting on that young lady. What did he mean by that? It means he's pursuing her. He's pursuing her while he's waiting on her. He's waiting on her. I'll guarantee you that was not inactivity, he says. Now, he may have been waiting on her to fix her face or something like that, he says, but that's not what he meant by it. He is pursuing her. He is waiting on her while he's pursuing her. You see, waiting is not inactivity. We have the idea that we're just going to, well, I'll just kind of hold on and just kind of just see what happens next. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. That's not what God's Word is referring to here in this passage. So let's break it down just a a little bit here. But those who wait. Let me give you three things about waiting. Number one, waiting implies that there is expectation, but it requires submission. Let me say that again. Waiting implies that there is expectation, but requires submission. The expectation of what I want, what I want to see God do, or what I'm looking forward to, whether it be spiritually related or secularly related, the idea is that I have an expectation that as I'm waiting, something is going to happen, but it also requires submission. Because the reality is, I have to submit to those who I'm waiting on, or to the circumstance that I'm waiting on. Waiting is filled with that expectation, but that submission part we don't like. I'll break it down in just a moment. Number two, it implies that there is confidence, but requires surrender. It implies that there is confidence in what God will do, but requires surrender of my will. And then number three, waiting implies that there is hope, but requires patience. Hope that something is going to be different, that something is going to change, but it requires my patience in God to do what God is going to do. So, once again, it implies that there's expectation, but requires submission. It implies that there's confidence, but requires surrender. It implies that there is hope, but requires patience. Let me give you a couple of examples. Have you ever been to a job interview? You don't like those, do you? Nobody likes job interviews. I mean, so tell us what you're really good at, because I just want to walk in there and tell you how great I am, right? I mean, tell me what you're bad at. Like, I really want to tell you all the things that I struggle with. I mean, nobody likes job interviews. But when you go into the job interview, there is expectation that hopefully you'll get that job. But it's going to require submission, because you're at their will. You're at their mercy. When you go into that job interview, it implies that you're going to have confidence in that you may possibly get that job, but it requires surrender. 
Because I can't change the outcome. Or when you go into that job interview, it implies that there's hope that you're going to get that job, but it requires patience because you're going to get a callback or maybe a second callback or maybe they'll give you a second interview and then you're going to have a third callback and you don't know what's going to happen, so you're surrendering, you're submitting, you're having patience. How about a doctor's appointment? You hope that when you're sick and when you're not feeling well and there's something that ails you, that there's expectation that the doctor is going to tell you what's wrong, right? But you're at his mercy. Uh, it implies that there's confidence that he's going to give you something that's going to make you feel better. But you're surrendering to his knowledge. Or at that doctor's appointment, there's hope that you're going to get better when you leave. But you've got to be patient because you don't get well overnight. I don't know about you, but waiting is hard. But waiting is not inactivity. Waiting is faithful obedience as you are moving forward. Let me give you several verses that give this idea. Psalm 27, verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. I don't know about you, but if you just take that two phrases right there, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. How many find it difficult to wait in adverse circumstances? Right? But be of good courage. Isn't that like an oxymoron? It almost is, right? I, I'm supposed to have a good attitude while I'm waiting? Really? I don't like waiting. I forgot to say that. Be of good courage. And guess what? He said, he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So the waiting gives anticipation to what God is going to do. But the waiting is not just sitting around doing nothing. Um, Psalm 31, verse 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen you. So Psalm 27 says, wait and be of good and have courage. And now he says, good courage will bring strengthening of your heart, all you that hope in the Lord. So when we have our hope in, in the Lord, he says, I'll strengthen you. Just be of good courage. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. It doesn't matter what has taken place. Just hope in the Lord. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, and then 5 and 8 says, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from Him. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. When you think about that in Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, he says, truly, my soul silently waits. Think about that word just for a moment. It's just a word picture, but think of the word silently. Silently. Once again, as I stressed last week, it's not running around telling everybody all your woes. It's not running around telling everybody everything that's not right in your life. It's not running around saying, I'm going to post on every bit of social media the struggles that I'm facing. He says, I want you to silently wait on me. Just wait. He says, from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not greatly be moved. But I love this. He says, for my expectation is from him. My only expectation is that God is going to work. God may work through other people, but my expectation is not in other people. My expectation is in God. And how he chooses to do that is his prerogative, right? 
but I'm waiting on him. And then he goes on and says this, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. He is our refuge. Selah. You know what the word Selah means? When you see that as you're reading through the Psalms, you see that just that little word Selah, S-E-L-A-H. I mean, just stop. Meditate on it. Think about it. Pray through that. Because this is who God is. That's why he could say in Isaiah 4 to 31, I'll give you strength, because of who I am. And then he says in Psalm 37, verse 7 and 34, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, and he shall bring it to pass. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Think about that. Waiting, and then he says, and keep. So he associates these two words, waiting on the Lord and keeping faithful at the same time. So it's not just sitting around saying, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. There is a matter of obedience while you are resting, waiting, pausing in him. So the first thing we see is is that those who wait, what happens in Scripture here is waiting and hoping are often associated with each other. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17 says this, And I will wait upon the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Psalm 25, 5, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Now, was David just sitting around twiddling his thumbs and saying, Oh, well. No. David was active. He was moving forward. He was walking in obedience while he was waiting. He goes on to say, Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Let integrity and upright preserve me, for I wait for you, Lord. And then Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Waiting, closely associated with hoping in the Lord. Then it says, they shall renew their strength. This may sound a little bit crazy, but I'm going to say it. Have you ever had a back rub after lifting and working and moving all day long? Anybody? I am not admitting this. I'm telling you what, there is nothing like a good back rub. I'm just telling you. I don't get them near enough, just so you know. I don't think any man gets them enough. (laughs) Yeah, just kidding. No, I'm not. No, I was kidding. I love a back rub. Most anybody does. I don't care whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, whether you're a child, you like a back rub. There's nothing like it after working all day long. Or how about a refreshing glass of water after being in the heat and sweating all day long? I don't want pop. I don't want juice. I want water. Because water refreshes. Or a few days in the sun after a long, cold winter. Does that not refresh you? Okay, now I'm speaking your language maybe. I'm talking about the type of refreshing that comes after strenuous activity. Psalm 103 verse 5 says this. Who satisfies your mouth with good things? so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
He says, I'll renew your strength. Renew. The word renew means to change or alter in order to revive or renew. Renew, to change or alter to bring about revival or renewal. In other words, in order to be renewed, something has to change. Just put that in your noggin just for a moment. This is something really neat that I learned this week. In order to be renewed, something has to change. You see, most of us, when we get to the point where we're tired, that tiredness that I talked about last week where we said you're just exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, there is a part of our life in the actions and reactions of life, how we plan our days, how we plan our weeks, how we plan our months, that lead us to that point. And if we change nothing, it doesn't get better. If we change nothing... It only gets worse, right? So we have to analyze our lives and say, what is it in our life? What are the actions? What is it about our life that we are doing that has led us to this point? The word renew has the idea that there is change. There is a redirection. There is an altering of what I'm doing that brings about the renewal. You see, you can't just keep doing the same old thing and expect to be refreshed. Something has to give. And in our walk with the Lord, oftentimes we realize that God is not the one who's moved. God is still God on his throne. God is still there. And if God is still there and God is not moved, what's the factor that we ought to look at? Ourselves. So what has changed in our lives? Are we still walking in fellowship with God? Are we still spending in time in prayer, speaking with God? Are we still walking by faith, trusting God for each day and day and, and, and circumstance that comes along? I think oftentimes what gets us to the point of physical and mental and emotional and spiritual exhaustion is the fact that God kind of gets eked out in the busyness of life and other things kind of step in and take its place if we're honest with ourselves. And it happens to all of us. It may not be intentional, it may not be something that we've tried to do on purpose, but nonetheless it has happened. So to renew in Scripture means to change or alter to bring about the renewal or the revival. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10, this is a cool, cool verse that kind of illustrates this exact word. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we'll replace them with cedars. It's the idea that as something is broken down, as something is taken down, as something is removed, something better will fill its place. Think about that. When we are willing to examine our lives and ask the hard questions, am I walking in fellowship with God? Am I spending time in prayer? Am I reading his word? Am I exercising faith in him for day-to-day -day living? When I start asking those questions, if I'm honest with myself, and sometimes we can justify, rationalize, excuse why we've gotten to this place. But if I'm honest with myself, we have to ask this question, what needs to change to get us where we need to be? That's where it gets difficult. Because we all have routines. 
We all have those to-do lists and those things that have to get done. But we need to ask ourselves, what has to be taken down? What has to be removed? What needs to fall over so that I can replace it with something better? Am I willing to give up what is good for what may be better? Am I willing to give up what may be better for what God may say is best? You see, that's where it gets really hard because we like our life for the most part. Ah, oh, this may happen. We don't care for that. Don't like this or this. But for the most part, we like our lives. Life revolves around our family, around our work, around what things that bring us joy and satisfaction, and it's just good. But are we willing to sacrifice what may be good for what may be better or best? That means, what is it that has to come out of my life so that I can have a better relationship with God? What needs to be torn down so that I may have more time to read, more time to pray? What needs to be rearranged so that I can walk more faithfully and obediently day by day with God? You see, you can't have the renewal without the altering or the changing, the transformation that has to happen. So the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. He goes, we're going to one-up it. We're not going to use those same bricks that fell. We're going to have hewn stones. Isn't that awesome? The, see, the see the sycamores of our car are cut down, but we're replacing them with cedars. We're improving. And let me just say this, the improving ought to be intentional. Because if you don't plan to move forward, it's a plan to move backwards. A plan is a plan, whether it's intentional or not. And if you don't plan to move forward, you will by necessity continue to go backwards. And then it says, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. It's the phrase in the Hebrew, it literally means as if the eagles are putting on fresh feathers. I have to be honest with you, I'm like, how in the world? That does not make any sense to me whatsoever. So an eagle is going to put on fresh feathers. Hmm, I know how that works. But as I begin to study and look at commentary, this really begins to make sense. We talked about renewal comes with altering and change. In Psalm 103, there's a, tr- a transformation that takes place. In fact, let me, let me just turn there very quickly. Okay, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. There it is again. Renewed like the eagles. What does this even mean? Well, it's a really neat, interesting thing that takes place. As if the eagles are putting on fresh feathers. Well, there's a common and popular opinion among the, amongst the ancients based upon the opinion that at stated times, an eagle will plunge itself into the sea for one reason. It will be flying high above, and it will just come down and nosedive right down into the sea with such speed and force. It'll come up back out of the sea. But something happens when it does that. The feathers that are weak 
the feathers that have aged, the feathers that are not serving a great purpose will fall off with the pressure of hitting the water. And as that happens, new feathers will begin to form. I had no idea. I never heard that before. Putting on fresh feathers. Think about this. When you get into the presence of God and you're waiting on him, it's as if he takes that old weight off. It's as if that he lessens the burdens that you're bearing. And he says, I'm going to give you new strength that you didn't know you had. I'm going to give you new life that you did not know was possible. Just like that eagle who comes down, he's shedding some old feathers so that the new can come forth. Isn't that awesome? He says, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. And he says, they shall run and not be weary. In Psalm 138, verse 3, he says, In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Isn't that awesome? They shall walk and not faint. John Butler, an old pastor of yesteryear, said this of Isaiah 40, 31. He says, waiting gives energy. They shall renew their strength. Like your body needs food and your car needs fuel. Waiting on God will give you the energy that you need. Waiting on God gives you energy. Then it says, they shall mount up with wings. It gives you elevation. Like the eagle soaring high will be able to rise above the world, above the, the hurts, above the heartaches, above the struggles, above the difficult situations and circumstances of life. It will give you elevation. We'll be able to live higher and nobler as a result of waiting on God. And John says, waiting on God gives us enthusiasm. They shall run and not be weary. Just as running pictures enthusiasm will do God's work with an enthusiastic spirit. When you're tired, when you're exhausted, and you learn to wait on God, He'll give you the enthusiasm to keep doing what He's called you to do. And then number four, He gives us endurance. It says, they shall walk and not faint. Waiting on God, being filled with His strength, will allow us to keep living for God till the end. Oh, how often have we known of people who have been faithful at one time, but they're not faithful now. They were obedient at one time, but they're not obedient now. They were serving at one point, but they're not serving now. They've let the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, the difficult trials and circumstances of life, bear them down rather than getting at the fate of Jesus and waiting on him to renew them. They've lost their energy. They've lost their elevation. They've lost their enthusiasm. They've lost their endurance because they're not waiting on God. Spurgeon wrote this, Everything comes to the man who can wait. It is only a matter of time. Patience beholds great wonders in spiritual things. If we watch and wait, we shall see glorious things. Isn't that awesome? We shall see glorious things. And one more, coming back to A.W. Tozer. He said this, Back during the Great Depression... Jobs were very hard to get. So a newspaper advertised for a telegraph company needing somebody as a telegraph operator. And they communicated through the telegraph. And this man says, I can do that. I'm trained for that. And he went down to apply for the job. He was so happy. 
But when he got there, the outer office was filled with people who had come there to try to get that one and only job. <sighs> Anybody ever seen that or experienced that before? Oh man, there's already a pile of people here. This man was so discouraged and he thought to himself, they were all here before me. Someone will be hired even before I get interviewed. But as he said that to himself, he heard a noise coming out of the back room and as he listened, he recognized it. It was the dots and the dashes of the Morse code. Dot, dot, dash, dash, etc. He listened and then a smile came across his face. He got up and went in the inner office, came back with even a wider smile and said, I got the job to everyone who was waiting in the waiting room. The people around says, we were here first. He said, but you weren't listening. He said, in Morse code, if you can understand this, come inside. So as the dot, dot, dash, dash, etc. began to play, or began to be heard, he got up and went inside because he was listening to what was being done. He says, you've got the job. That's how the company separated the room full of men to be interviewed. There was a man just sitting there, but he was tuned in. A.W. Tozer says, I wonder how many people are missing opportunities because they're missing what the great telegraph operator is saying in code to them. Dot, 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 dash, dash. In short, they're not listening to God with expectation, with confidence, with hope. So again, waiting is not inactivity. Waiting on the Lord is not just saying, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. Waiting is drawing closer to God, staying faithful and obedient, trusting Him as you take each step forward, allowing Him to give you what you need to go forward for His glory. I don't know about you, but when I'm exhausted, it's not the time to quit. Think about this in the illustration of war. What if our soldiers said, you know what, we're so close to taking the front, but you know what, I quit, I'm tired. Doesn't that affect the outcome? You see, we're in a battle too. I don't know if you realize it or not, we're in a battle. We're his soldiers, called to fight and press forward. And the bottom line is, we can't just look at the struggles of life, the tiredness of life, that which would just press us down as an excuse to just stop. Waiting is not inactivity. Waiting is going forward, trusting God as you go. Because he alone is going to work out the outcome for his glory. Resist the urge to quit. Resist the urge to just let whatever happens, happens. Say, well, it's out of my control. Yeah, most of this life is. And if you think you're in control of it, yeah, wake up. You're not. Bottom line is, our job is to trust Him, to draw close to Him, to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit's going to do in and through us. And remember, it's for His glory. What you're facing is for His glory. Your exhaustion is for His glory. Think about it in those terms. It's not about me. Never has been, never will be. It's all about Him. And if we find ourselves unable to move forward, what we need to do is take a step towards him.
not away from him. When life gets busy, get back to our roots. Remember Red Arbach? In a coaching, I believe it was the Boston Celtics, he simply made a, a comment. He said, this is a ball. It's round. There's rubber and leather. If you bounce it, it will come back up to you. What was he saying? Get back to the basics. You know, you see these little kids trying to do the round the back and through the leg and up, you know, whatever, trying to be Michael or LeBron or whoever is famous today. Learn to make a layup first. We know what we should be doing. And oftentimes what we should be doing is being crouched out by everything else that we're not doing for the Lord. Take a step back towards Jesus. If you're tired, you're exhausted, you're weary, take a step towards the Lord. And you'll find that renewed strength. But remember, renewal comes only after you are taking some things down to put better in its place. The eagle had to shed some feathers for the new feathers to form. You've got to take a step towards Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to apply this to our hearts and our lives. Lord God, I pray that we would not be so overwhelmed by the circumstances of life that we don't take time to take a step towards you to find that you're there willing to lift the burden. You're willing to help us through it, to give us the strength that we need. Lord, help us not to think we can do it on our own because we can't. Lord, I know that there are many in this room this morning, Lord, who have admitted in the last couple weeks as we were talking about this series that they're struggling with just being exhausted, tired, mentally, emotionally, physically, just worn out. I pray, God, that the one thing that we would not do in this state, in this condition, that we would not push you aside, but all the more take a step towards you and put ourselves at your feet. God, would you help us to do that? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just ask for a moment that God's people be praying. Maybe you're